Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We've got the full crew tonight, Michael Morrow, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft, and myself, Ron Hayes, coming to you from the four corners of North America, anyway. Well, not really. Not even close. Three of us are kind of clustered in the middle. <laughs> that sounded good, though. Sounded good. Let's run with that. You could just say four corners of the globe. Yeah, we could say that, but that would be less true than what I just said. <laughs> anyway... We are spread out. All of us are at home, but we have had the opportunity to get out lately, which has been a little bit different than the norm this year. And so we thought we'd share uh, a little bit of a catch up and then get into some pro tips. How's everybody doing? Mark, how is the far north? It's been awesome. Lately. Okay, far, I'm going to correct myself, far, though. Well, it's not well, really I, that far north. There's no. parts of the U.S. that are it's, further north, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, outside, even outside of Alaska. Parallel with Northern California here in Southern Ontario. Technically, we're in Canada, but Wisconsin, Minnesota are way north. Absolutely. So the Great Lakes dip down here in Ontario. So we have even some Carolinian forest in southwestern Ontario. So it's it. But but that being said, Algonquin Park that we've talked about before in the wintertime, I think is one of the coldest places in North America. I often compare it to coastal Alaska, which I have a strong affinity for. And because of the coastal waters, of course, it's colder there, which is three hours north of me than it is in Alaska a lot of the winter. But usually we're not too bad off here. So, okay, but it's sorry all... to interrupt. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> good little spin. Yeah, right. It's there. You know, I, I've traveled through... Most of the U.S. states uh, frequently used to drive through Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And to get to some of the places I'd film in Minnesota, it's an 18-hour drive and mostly north. So northwest, but it's a fair ways north. So different habitat up, up near the uh, International Falls area and Thunder Bay and stuff like that. Not far from Manitoba and North Dakota. Just looking at the map, I think you just assume, okay, it's just a straight line. That you look at mm -hmm. Washington and Idaho and Montana, you just continue it straight over, but it's not that at all. No, not quite. So it's been warm and cold as of today. I like to start the podcast when all the guys come on, on Skype with some kind of weird dress-up thing going here, and it's always above board, don't get me wrong. But today I had the park not on. Always. Not always. No. <laughs> let's, let's full disclosure. Because we had snow on the ground for the first time today, but the fall colors this year have been outstanding and the past couple of weeks have been great. I have had a lot of office responsibilities that have been shelved because, you know, with this time of year, the weather is so variable and we get that kind of overcast day when colors pop, I got to go. I've got to hop in the car and, and disappear and go take pictures places. And it's been a lot of fun. And today I got out for a few hours and, with, it was one of my favorite scenarios when we have fall leaves still clinging to trees and then snow falling, big flakes, and just great scenery. So happy day today. Did you have deer in it too, or did you not 
it was it just scenery and flakes yeah i drove to one of the places i photographed deer so i had the good fortune of having some deer whitetails in it as well for sure yeah nice. and there and their ruts getting going is that true it's uh not quite yet no it's been no. slow slow so far this year we've had a lot of warm weather and so i haven't seen a lot of sign or activity yet but today did with the flurries the cooler temperatures i noticed this afternoon more deer were moving around it's going to happen very quickly but here it's it's closer to the middle of november when it peaks how about you jason or things in utah uh, a little chilly, actually, as you are aware. Um, we've had this cold front that's moved through, and uh, it's it got down to about 18, 19 degrees the other night for me, which is way warmer than it got for you, Ron, I know. Um, but uh, that's pretty chilly. We went from, you know, 65, 70 degrees down to, you know, below freezing. So, um, but yeah, just been uh, editing photos and, and enjoying some of the adventures that I've, reliving some of the adventures I had during the elk rut and I'm very glad that I took the time I did this year to focus on the elk rut and, you know, looking forward to the next adventure. You said you might get out last weekend. Did you get out anywhere or no? You know, I did. I went out to look for some owls and I did find a a little guy to to play with. Um, It didn't last long. And then the, the, my buddy I was with his, uh, (laughs) his steering arm busted and uh, thank goodness it busted before we were going down the canyon because that could have been pretty treacherous um because he literally lost his steering so anyways that kind of put a damper on the morning we had to get he had to get it towed and he called his beautiful wife and she was so willing to stop her shopping and come and pick us up on a saturday morning (laughs) (laughs) so you know anyways it but it's complimented her and then threw her under the bus (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) well i'm sure she would not agree with how pleasant it was for her to come pick us up but yeah <laughs> no it was a it was a it was good to get out and uh i'm gonna start getting out again like this this weekend i'm already planning on a couple nights this week and this weekend the rut here um kicks in a little bit earlier um for the mule deer rut here in utah and there's some areas where it kicks in earlier um and so they should be getting to start going now and usually in the years past on halloween i will go out and uh try to photograph some bucks rutting around and I've, I've had some good luck over the last three or four years finding some ruddy bucks so it's just right around the corner i mean i can feel it my neck starting to swell and you know here we go <laughs> michael i haven't done much since i've been back from alaska i just that's uh, not true you have been promoting and working on this podcast oh that's all i've been doing yeah. so much that thank you yeah things are happening he was, people he was even willing to skip a trip things are happening to stick it out and get all that done. Got like what six podcasts done, I think. I don't know. It was a lot. It was a full it was a lot. It was a it was a lot. <laughs> but now they're all done. I don't have to worry about them. It's just we just post them whenever we need to post them. Let's make another one tonight. I know. Well that <laughs> those were all the Nampa podcasts, right? So those are only going out once a month. So we're like we're covered into like next spring Boy. with those. <laughs> We got a new one going out, uh, so this episode will go out next Tuesday, which means the previous Thursday. It doesn't matter to the people listening, but we're doing a Nampa short. So we do one full-on Nampa episode, which is usually one of their members, and then we do one short one, which is just going to focus on a technique or uh, an event or something that's cool that they're doing. 
but the first one you got, I wasn't part of it. I can't remember who did that one. It was it. It was Braun, Mark, and and uh, yeah, the first was, short. Uh, yeah, the Patrick. first short I've been, one. I've enjoyed that doing was Jason the and I. Yeah, the short. The oh, short sorry. one. Yeah, the short. And you guys pretty much just lined out what Nampa is, I think, what for Nampa the most part. Yeah, what they have, what they have coming up. So if yeah. you didn't listen to that, make sure you go back and it'll it'll let you know what's going on in your area. For yeah. Sure. So, and then hopefully we're going to have ourselves a st- online store here shortly. Swag. Swag. Said so potentially by the time this comes out. You know, there's November. A, this is all the whole reason I've never, we've never had a store. I didn't realize how much work it is. There are, and it's not a lot of work. It's not like it's hard work. It's just all these little T's you got to cross and I's you got to dot and just, just one thing after another. You think you've got it and then it's like, oh no, you need to sign up for this and get an account and do this and. It's just connecting all the dots. That's just been the thing. And like I say, it's not hard work. It's just monotonous, double-checking and rechecking. And But it should be pretty cool once it's going. So make sure you keep an eye out for that on the website and cool also on Instagram and and Facebook. We'll yeah, put we'll links to that store. As soon, as soon as it's that, live, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Very soon we'll be able to just swipe up, right? Getting pretty close to that 10,000 mark on the Wild and Exposed page. Yeah, right, Instagram. Mark's efforts on that on Instagram. Everybody so pretty does. soon we'll be able to do that with the stories, yeah. So what have you been up to, Ron? Well, like Jason said, it's been frigid, like January cold. Um, the other morning, it depended on where you were in the county and you know where the, the cold air was. The coldest temperatures I saw were 18 below and the the low right in town was 11 below so we had a little bit of a little bit of an arctic blast early on in the fall and i it's kind of happened last year too and then it was a pretty mild winter but we got i well we'll get into that in a little bit i was able to make it over to the west side of the state with the intent of trying to find some owls like jason said i was looking for great grays um because the only time I've ever had the opportunity to photograph great gray owl, I handed the camera to my son and he ended up with the good shots and I got nothing. <laughs> but it was fun. But they ended up closing Yellowstone Park down because of the storm. And so I was supposed to be staying in West Yellowstone, Montana. I had to audible and come back to Jackson and was fortunate enough to find a room there and also find some very good Shiros moose. And to get them in that stormy, stormy kind of climate, a little bit moodier images. And the rut, surprisingly, was still still going on, especially the, the biggest Shiris bull I've ever seen, personally. He was going hardcore. I mean, he was covering six, eight, ten miles a day. Did you lug your new two to four hundred around six, eight, ten miles a day? I, I lugged it around as far as my little legs would take me through the <laughs> snow and sagebrush. I don't think we've talked about it on a podcast. I don't think, have we talked about it on a podcast? That lens, your images from that lens, I mean, are, I I personally, just when I look at them, it's like, holy moly, you can definitely see a difference between the two to five and that two to four. That's just me just looking at them. And I'm looking at Instagram. Two to four are actually two to five. Yeah, and that could be too, because but but some of them right <laughs> in the very beginning. Yeah, I could yeah, tell, and those are the ones I'm referring to. The, the bokeh, 
that you get out of that lens, like you guys had referred to before I actually bought it, is definitely on a different level. It's just clear, nice, butter smooth. You know, you can really separate your subject from the background, and that's been the biggest advantage to that setup. I've been a little bit disappointed, to be quite honest, with the autofocus of the R5. I have been struggling. It it continues to, and I think you can go in and adjust, you know, how fast it jumps from one subject to another or how fast it picks it up. And I think I need to just go in and just say lock on subject and totally back that off because every time a branch blows and you get a leaf that goes across your subject's face, it jumps and focuses on that leaf. So I've had a couple different opportunities where I've ended up with about 50% keepers where, or 50% sharp images, not even keepers, but uh, where the Nikon, I can lock that thing on and not worry about it. Which focus point are you using? I, I switched back to single point because I was trying the animal eye. But number one, it's impossible on a moose. Found that out pretty quick. And I know Mike, you had said that early on. And number two, it was snowing. So that's it's not going to happen because then it's jumping from snowflake to branch to to subject. And so I just switched back to point focus and, and just stuck it on their eye. And that worked out quite a lot better. But, you know, autofocus, you might as well turn autofocus off when the snow is coming down thick. With a big lens, if you if you're in there with a twenty four, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> weren't quite that close, huh? But no, it's it's been a good couple weeks. And then Jason, you ended up getting the R five too, because we haven't all talked since all this happened. So you got an R five, and then you got the one hundred to five hundred, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I actually haven't even really had a chance to shoot it. Um, when I went out for the owls, I gave it to Hunter, my son, and. He actually did a really good job and got some pretty cool images. And uh, he's in a photography class right now, too, which is kind of cool. So um, he's been out taking photos of what using, you know, he just basically, he says that's his camera now. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> he, he's been taking photos of praying mantises and all kinds of stuff out in the yard. And just, he's got some really neat stuff. So I'm excited to get, get started using it. But I was going to tell you, Ron. Harlan helped me set up mine, you know, we walked through all the menus and that's one thing he actually mentioned was don't let it switch subjects. I mean, why would you want it to just turn that off and just leave it on yeah. whatever you focus on? It stays locked on that. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. Yeah. Why would you want it to jump to anything else? You know? Yeah. And I just need to go in and adjust those because there's, you can take it from level what three to zero. Yeah. Whatever. So I just yeah. need to go make that adjustment and probably call Harlan. It was funny. Um, when we were in southern Wyoming, well, I can I can say I was in Colorado now. Um, <laughs> we had talked about uh, Neil, and how do you say his last? Is it Dopes? Doppies. Do Doppies. Neil Doppies. Okay, so he was giving Harlan a hard time, and he shoots Sony system, and he was. He said, oh, yeah, Harlan's got that thing set on cover mode, so every shot he takes is good, good cover shot. So that R5 is phenomenal. But... Oh, and he even said, it was funny to add to that. You're right, Ron, it was funny. He's like, I think he takes a photo, it edits it, and sends it right to the editor. Sends it to the <laughs> editor, yeah. That was the other thing. 
Uh, it's got cover mode and the editor mode on that R5. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably got 15 covers just while we've been out here shooting. Yeah. Did, did you guys uh, upgrade the firmware? No. no. And that's another thing that I think will help the autofocus too. And you can get, so they're doing firmware updates for the lenses now with Canon, with those new R-mount lenses. So make sure you check for updates for your, if you have, you know, the 100 to 500, 70 to 200, update those and it's supposed to just dial it in. So I did a commercial shoot. So I lied earlier. I've been out shooting, but I was doing one of my commercial shoots and it was indoors and I was just using the R5 and we were shooting just little bitty segments. Like this was supposed to cover 15 seconds for a social media post, right? but they wanted it in 4k and I was shooting some vertical and some horizontal and I was shooting 4k HQ and I'd been using that camera in Alaska up until then. Right. So I didn't ever worry about, uh, heat. Well, I get inside, I'm assuming, I don't know, the temperature in a, inside this room was probably 68 degrees. I mean, that's pretty common, right? I made it about, the shoot was scheduled for three hours. I made it about an hour into it, and these cameras were putting up their little thermometer warning, you know, the little the little warning for the heat. And I hadn't upgraded, and I knew that the new firmware kind of addressed some of that. So actually in the middle of the shoot, I connected my computer to my phone, downloaded the firmware, the first firmware. There's two firmware updates, and I just did the first one because I figured that one would probably address the, the temperature warnings. And then I upgraded the cameras right in the middle of the shoot. And they, I got them to work for the whole shoot. I had two of them going. But I was starting to get that again at the end of the shoot. But at, at the end of the shoot, I was shooting 4K 120. So when you shoot 4K 120, it really starts to heat those little cards up. And then I think when you're done, you're done. It's not like you can let it cool off for a couple of minutes and start shooting again. I've, I'm not sure on that, but I've, I've read some of that kind of stuff. So I was a little worried to, you know, to make it, but fortunately it was only a three hour thing. It wasn't like it was an all day thing. So I would say upgrade your firmware. Yeah. Upgrade your firmware. And I will tell you, you are safe in the weather. I, I, Definitely tested the weather sealing of that camera on Saturday. And everybody around me was like, you're crazy. And I said, well, Jerry did it in the rain, so I'm good in the snow. And it was wet snow, and there ended up being icicles coming, literally icicles coming off the back of the camera. And that thing worked like a champ. So, and still does. Well, I don't know if you guys saw Jerry's story just yesterday or whatever he had. It was completely coated in ice, the lens and the camera, and he said it just runs great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That guy's got – he just – he doesn't care. And I'm okay. I'm like Mr. Like cover everything, and I make it hard on myself because you're dealing with a cover and you're trying to move stuff around. But – and, uh, I, you know, Ray did that too. Ray Minzy did that. He just let it be out in the weather, and it was fine. That's AK Scenic. Shout out to Jerry. Yeah, AK Scenic. AK and then Ray is uh, Ray in Alaska. Ray in Alaska. Real quick, sorry, while we're doing shout outs, I did want to mention we had a I had a an opportunity to meet one of the fans of the show, 
and that's uh, Captain Steve, and he's a. Uh, I think that's his actually his Instagram on is Captain Steve, and uh, got to spend some time with him. And you know, again, just a reminder to everybody. You know, we love meeting you guys out in the field, and it's fun to get to caught up and chat, and you know, um, compare notes. And he was able to teach me some stuff about the R5, even though I wasn't, I didn't have one in my hand yet. And uh, he continues to email me and keep me updated. So you know, again, thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. It was nice to meet you. And he actually had he actually had a workaround for editing video also that we can. We probably should actually throw a link to that in the show notes because he talked about some software that he's using that that kind of makes those proxies that you were talking about, Mike, so you can actually do your editing. So he's uh, Captain Steve nineteen on Instagram. Instagram Thanks. and his name is Steve Loop. Thank you, Mark. He's he's uh, sent me a few emails and and really seemed to dive into the specs on on the Canon R five. And I met a ton people that listen to the podcast and I'm not even going to try to remember everybody right now. I'd have to write down a list, but it, honestly, it's fun to get the feedback in the field and, and people that I've, you know, connected with on social media as a result of being on the show, meeting people, enjoying some time in the field. And we don't know unless you yell at us. So shop. don't be shy. Yeah, exactly. It's good fun. So who wants to start with the pro tips this afternoon? We so, we're coming into a new season, so I think we, I think it's awesome to do the pro tips, and I, I'm I love sharing these experiences and insights. But we still, at some point, we gotta talk about maybe not. But we we haven't seen each other in weeks and weeks and oh, shooting. But true. I think the pro tips are more more appealing at this point in time. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I'm 100 on board. I just okay. We can each do one. We'll catch up, and then we'll finish with the grand finale. Ooh. Save your best one for the end. <laughs> Try something. You know new. what I did right before, right before the podcast tonight. Within an hour before the podcast, Ron, you so graciously sent me a link to a green screen a week ago, and I found it and I ordered it because I noticed on. I love seeing the stuff on YouTube. So many of these podcasts, we we film now, we record it, we put it on YouTube. That way you get to watch us while we're talking or interactions. And if we have products, we get to show it that way or things that we're that we enjoy using and just our guests and what's going on that way as well. But, with, you know, Skype advanced. We can now put photos up. People love to joke about my friendly caribou here behind me. But when I move quickly, because sometimes I get animated and excited, it gets choppy. So Ron's like, you need a green screen. So it's coming. I mean, we're just getting more and more polished for this podcast. So check it out on YouTube. But uh, that's 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 a, a mini pro tip. If you do filming and want to put these photos behind you through software like Skype, the green screen apparently makes it a lot better and does not. I started without a hat last week, and Mike said that it was making my head flat. So it's all the green screens. The green screen is supposed to fix that. <laughs> It gives you a buzz cut. Who, makes who wants to jump in with another pro tip? <laughs> is that your pro tip, really? Is that your pro no, tip? no, I'm just spinning oh, that because okay. <laughs> I saw something flickering on Ron's on Ron's feed there. So I, oh, I on my head. Yeah. So it made oh. me think of the, the green screen and and how we're advancing technologies here at Wild and Exposed. Michael. Oh, okay. I'll start out. So it's another listener to the show, right? I was. Uh, up in Alaska and we were shooting moose and it was kind of chilly some mornings 
And you know how we all carry around those hand warmers, those uh, you know, little plastic wraps. Shake them up. Shake them up. I always carry those around. I throw them in my pack. And you know, there's just some of those days where it's just super cold, and your hands are so cold that sometimes you can't even feel your trigger finger. You know, you you know you're pushing the button. But nowadays, you can't hear the camera if you got it on silent mode. And I've been in situations where I'm just not sure if I'm pushing the button. I can't feel my finger. So you end up pulling out those little hand warmers and away you go. Well, Dave, his name is Dave Wood. He was up shooting and he pulls this little thing out of his pocket and it looks like a little battery charger for your phone. And I'm like, what what is that? And he's like, this is that rechargeable hand warmer. And I was like, no kidding. So I, I, he handed it to me and it was, it's aluminum housing so that what, Somehow the technology in there just has batteries and it just heats up that aluminum. And man, it was way better, way warmer. And then what I like is you're not throwing away these little disposable hand warmers all the time and you don't have all that plastic and you, you know, obviously you're still consuming electricity to, to charge that thing up. But I, I went down and bought a couple of them and I put one in each pocket if you know it's going to be a really cold morning and you just stick your hand in your pockets and, and away you go, both your hands are warm. Or you can just do one and then if you're going to go all day. You, but you got to kind of manage. The one I was using, you have to manage it where turn it on, get that, that housing warm, and then shut it off because it'll blast through the battery pretty quickly if you just leave it on nonstop. I mean, you're probably like three hours, you probably would be done with the whole thing. But it also serves as a phone charger. So it has a little port on it so you could charge your phone too. So if you're out and it's not a cold day, but you run out of phone battery, you can charge your phone with it too. So that's my pro tip. I've, it was 14 bucks at REI. So it's not like a really expensive Love thing. REI. Yeah. Um, Fun place to shop. I bought the last ones that were at the REI in Anchorage, and the guy told me that those were the last ones they were selling. The next batch was coming in, and it was going to be a little bit more expensive, so I don't know what that means. But it was a lifesaver after I had them on those cold days. So the one I was looking at, I left it up here. It was called Elements, I think. I'll spit it out here in a little bit. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But it was pretty good, pretty good. Well, it's a timely, it's a timely pro tip, man. We're all freezing, it's white out. Right? Yeah, I think it's good for the time of year. It's, it's with winter coming on. And then, the, like I said, the thing I liked about it the most is I'm not throwing away all this stuff every day. You know, you just don't need it. And that thing was, was working pretty good. Oh, and the other thing I was going to add to it is I did a lot of work with GoPros and the Osmo Action. <laughs> and I was just using those cameras a lot. And I'd run the batteries out so I could charge the batteries with it out in the field if it wasn't cold. So that is my first pro tip. Mark, it looks like that might be a segue into one of your pro tips. A little bit, a little <laughs> bit. I didn't know where he's going with it. Just, just, <laughs> you know, we, we do this on the fly. We make our lists and have, if, if we're smart, we have an extra one put it for just in case there's overlap, but no, I, I, one of the pro tips, I was going to save it for the second, but let's roll with this on action cameras. I mean, these little gizmos have been so much fun since they've come out. And this spring, the DJI action cam, which is the one that I've been using and really enjoy went on sale. So it was like, okay, 
hitting the rumor sites, when's the second model coming out? Because it was a significant sale. There's still nothing. It's still a great camera, but it's they came out with the uh, Osmo Pocket version 2 in the past couple of weeks, but not the action camera 2. So I'm curious to see what they will, if they come out with a second one, what it will be improved on it. Not that I see it needs anything other than if it would be some kind of higher resolution video. The stability is great. But my pro tip was in using these cameras, truthfully, people, Michael knocked it out of the park with some of his action camera stuff this fall. Just phenomenal footage. Loved seeing it. I so, hated seeing it because it was a reminder <laughs> that I couldn't go. <laughs> well said. Yeah. But it was incredible. Yeah. So there's the GoPros, which are great too. So one thing I learned playing with this stuff, I mean, it works for certain situations, certain animals, and not for others, of course, unless you're willing to risk losing it, what have you. But the GoPros are now have always been great as well. But one camera is not enough. We're on these trips. We want to get this footage. It was so much fun to get into the woods. So picture me and a couple of friends, you know, 300 yards, 400 yards back in the timber with some moose. And they're either standing up tending the bull with the cow or they're bedded. And I'm just trying to think, well, way ahead of the time, not close to them. Where are they going to go? I'm going to put this camera and hopefully get some cool footage coming really close that we can't get holding a camera safely. So I kept doing that over and over and over again, placing it. So my buddy Eric started calling my camera the no-action camera. <laughs> and then we get in the bush, and he'd be like, okay, Mark, where are you putting your camera? I said, I'm gonna, I think they're going to come over here. I'm going to set it up over here. Said, okay, I'm going the other way then. <laughs> and it was just one camera didn't cut it. I will have three next time because, you know, again, it's limited opportunities. The light's right that day. It's overcast in the forest. We're not going to have fall colors again. We're not going to have a nice bull moose tending a cow, these opportunities, and create different perspectives. But you cover more reach with, with more than one camera. It's worth it for what these cool little devices cost at, you know, I think they're 500 Canadian, 350 U.S. Is that about right, guys? That's about right. Yeah. For the most current version, yeah. Yeah. So one thing, part of the pro tip, it turned out to be an action camera at the end of the trip. It really did. But before that happened, I realized, one, you want a really big micro SD card in there. And sure, you can run these Bluetooth off your smartphone, but you can't always be close enough with some of these rutting animals that you can do that safely. So you need, then they don't have a motion sensor on them yet. Hey, DJI and GoPro, let's do that. Let's put a motion sensor in these cameras so that they can activate themselves. Instead, we've got to let them roll. There were times, you know, the, the moose might have been bedded 50 yards off and there was this clear, a rock cut and a trail. I'm like, they're going to come along here. I'm going to set the camera here. But it had to run for an hour and a half before any, or longer before anything can happen. So have a as large a micro SD card as you can in it. But then there's the battery life. You can't just leave the one battery life in it, battery in it and expect it to film for two hours straight at 4K. So what I did, and this won't work underwater, of course, is I popped the housing, and on the DJI, you could take off the door at the plug-in, and then I had an external charger, which was ideally, it, it's a solar charger, but it didn't need that because it's a big enough bank. It would keep it running longer than the SD card would last. Plug that in, so and I've got a an arm that will cl clamp onto, onto trees and stuff like that. So it's on the arm, 
on the battery charger so that it will run for hours. Okay, so I'll finish this pro tip. Last night of two weeks in the mountains, trying to get this stuff, there's a big bull moose tending a cow. There's a trail, I picked the trail. Looks like they're coming that way. Set the camera, it's on, and walk away. Well, they did not come down that trail for well over an hour. And I, well, actually, no, I stand corrected. It was probably 50 minutes, because I think when I looked at the card, it had 59 minutes when I hit record. And I had no idea, because I left the area, I saw them walk past it, but I assumed the camera was still rolling. I went back and collected the camera long after they'd gone through, probably another 20, 30 minutes, and it was dead. It shut off. Cause, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I didn't get that. The one time that they brushed up against the camera, I didn't get it. I'm like, oh, such a loser today. And I started playing the footage, and you can watch it on the camera, right? Awesome. And you can put your finger on the back of that little micro screen and just slide that along and watch fast forward. And like, oh, here they come. It's almost at the end of the clip. Within one minute of the camera shutting off, they walk past it. <laughs> oh, such a relief. <laughs> and it's so good. They are, they are so chatty. You know, just back and forth as they go past. But the point was, none of that would have been possible if I didn't have that external battery power to keep that camera running long term. So let's, yeah, let's hope they come out with some motion activation. But until then, these rigs can work that way with an external pack. So it is doable. And that's something I played with and won the game at the end of the trip with. So at just to end. add on, on to that, that, yeah, I, you got something wrong? I got something well, wrong. Well, I was going to say there was a situation where a bull was going to cross this drainage and he was going to cross it like 75 yards from where we were set up. And he did not like the ice. He didn't want anything to do with the ice. He didn't want, you know, to break through, didn't know where the water was. And, what the rock situation was. So he was really tentative and he ended up circling back and coming back toward us. And by the time he decided to cross, he was too close and I couldn't back up. I didn't want to move and spook him. And I was with an, another, or actually a couple people. And I looked back and one of them is filming with their phone. And I was stuck because I've gotten in the habit of leaving my phone in the vehicle and I couldn't do anything about it. So I got a headshot of him looking at the ice and that's all I could get. Um, but that video of him being, I mean, big dominant bull being that tentative going across the ice was, was a sight to see just watching his, uh, his caution, but it would have been nice to have it. What I was going to add to that was uh, if you do what you said, Mark, and you get three cameras, the danger there is then you're not a photographer anymore. Then you're running GoPros because it's like I found myself trying to, oh, well, I'll try this trail and then I'll go try this trail and then I'll try this trail. But now I got to go back and fix this camera because it's not, you know, I set it up in the wrong spot or I found myself tending cameras like all morning and didn't shoot any images or regular video because I was just too busy. So one of my buddies up there, Ray, Ray Menzi, who I talked about earlier, 
he was having a kick of a time doing it and he didn't care. He wanted the GoPro footage. So it was kind of cool because he just dedicated and he's the one got a lot of these shots that I was showing you guys. I got some too, but he would, and he, I don't know. He just has this uncanny knack where it's like, I think this is the spot where this, these moose are going to go or whatever. He would just more times than not, whatever he guessed was, was the spot, but he had to tend to those cameras a lot and would, Mm -hmm. you know, he would carry his stills camera, but he didn't ever shoot it. He was too busy, you know, but he would do to, again, to your whole thing is he would try to sit back far enough where your Bluetooth still worked, mm-hmm. but close, close enough. So his Bluetooth still worked, but far enough where he's not going to disturb what's going on. Right. Sure. So ideally. Yeah. Yeah. I so. just, so that's how I, I juggled that. I just, I didn't want to run my phone either because I wanted to photograph. So I set the camera rolling and then I forget about it and just pray they come past it. But otherwise I'm focused on taking pictures and unless it's something like caribou that's going to move us two miles away in the next couple of hours and we'll have to get the cameras later. I just leave them because these moose in this situation, you know, weren't going far and I collected them later. So I just let it roll and hope got it but there were times yeah there definitely times i didn't get some pictures because i did pivot and collect it and put it in a different spot so yeah it's all part of the fun and games but right for sure but there's value to that right there's value to having those really cool shots so you just got to kind of play the game and figure out what what's the biggest bang for the buck at what you're doing you know the other thing i had issues with is you really got to watch what you're doing a lot of the shots i was trying to get was ground level and i want i wanted the moose to kick it you know, I would I was wanting the moose to step on it or chew on it or whatever. Many times we had cows that would walk right up and they'd sniff it and you'd hear them and they'd steam up the lens. I mean, they were just right there on it. But when you're that low and you're pointed up and it's an overcast sky, then now you got exposure problems, right? Because if you leave it on auto, it's going up and down and up and down. And if you set it on manual, you just got to make sure you got enough variation to get all the whole exposure. So... It takes a lot of playing around with it, but it's fun to do. And if you get that one shot, it's it's something that'll work for you for all kinds of things. It's fun. I yeah, I kept the sky out because it was all overcast in the timber, in the woods that way. But you're definitely those are all you could do all kinds of pro tips and you know based on experience working these cameras. There's certain elements that you want to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, just like regular uh, still photography, right? I mean that gray sky doesn't complement a still photo. So the reward when it comes together is pretty cool. There was one, I missed it. The bull on one situation, I clamped it to a tree. He was coming, but he was far enough off. Say if I clamped it to the tree, he came up to it and went behind it and thrashed the tree behind it. How cool would it have been if he walked up to that shrub with the camera on it and just started thrashing the camera and the shrub with his big, antlers and the sound that would make and have the camera just tossed jason how about you well i'm going to go back to one that i had um when i first joined the podcast if you guys remember and it was one that i had on my notes to bring up again this time of year because we're coming into that you know winter season and downtime and uh time to you know editing season as mark calls it right and uh we're getting close to being there, um, and I'm not sure if we'll have another catch-up podcast in November. So it has to do with uh, the books that I do every year now, and it's a, just a reminder on that to be paying attention to 
the websites that do those books. Um, look for specials. Look for a lot of them will do 25 to 40 percent off this time of year, especially as it gets closer to the holidays. Um, and again, for me, it's just a great opportunity to go through all my photos from the year, pick out my favorite ones and just kind of take some time over the holidays to create um, a book of remembrance of the of my favorite photos that year. And again, for me, the benefit is a lot of ways. It's to compare year over year to see kind of how I'm progressing as a photographer. And it's also just fun to go back and pull those books up and review the images from years past and relive some of those memories and those experiences. And I, and I don't just keep it to my photography trips. I actually do anything that had to go on that year. For example, my daughter getting married, uh, you know, coming home from a mission, uh, family things. All those things are included in there as well. Um, and sometimes they can get to be a pretty big book and they cost a little bit of money, you know, 100, 150 bucks to get one done. But if you look for those discounts, it's a good time of year to be doing it. And uh, it's something I've found a lot of value. And so that's my pro tip is just a refresher and a reminder on that as we come into that season at this time of year to be looking for those um, savings and those uh, deals out there. And some of the websites that do it, I know Nations Photo Lab does it. I know Bay Photo does it. Most of the Costco.com does it. A lot of the big photography sites um, offer that as an option to create different books. And some of them have different products. So you might want to shop around a bit and see which products you like and, and just kind of go from there. But that's it. That's what I've got. That's awesome. They're great keepsakes, you know, for, for loved ones, family. Sometimes I've done trips and, and had them made just for friends that have come along on a trip and, and make an extra, you know, and some of them, you know, 45, 50 bucks, great keepsakes. It's amazing too what some of you can get away with. I've had I've done them like two page spreads in some of these books from iPhone photos, just because some of that behind the scenes with friends on these travels are simply that, and they look fantastic. So, and I I love you know those short days in the winter, and, and sure we're stuck at the computer a lot, editing and marketing to take a break and 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 flip through some of these memories that we we cherish. It's it's great a suggestion. Yeah, this seasonality for price point, right on for sales. Yeah. Yeah, especially this year. Yeah, it's fun to see your images in print too. And a lot of times we don't take the time to print our images. Um, and even though they're smaller, um, it, it is definitely has a different feel and different look to it when you put it on a print, you know, or on a page. Um, so that's another benefit of it too. Is if you're wondering how an image may print, you know, this is another good way of doing that and seeing how it turns out. But it's also the season. You know, you talked about coming into this the downtime. It's also the season of getting out in the cold. And uh, I was just doing, yes, that too. <laughs> getting out with a cold. I was just doing some work for the Wyoming Department of Tourism. And one of the things that they wanted me to touch on was safety. And so, you know, we talked about safety around animals and knowing behavior and that kind of thing. If you don't know behavior, make sure you're with a guide or with somebody that does. All those types of things. But... The, one of the biggest ones, number one, make sure when you're going out in the wintertime, especially let somebody know where you're going when you expect to be back. But the, the pro tip is it, when I was in law enforcement, we always had a go bag. No matter you know what time of year it was, you'd have a go bag that you just grab, go throw it in your duty vehicle, and it had extras, you know, extra food. It had extra gloves, it might have a set of binoculars, that kind of thing. For wintertime, I have 
one of my North Face bags. That's just it's my wintertime go bag, and I have my heavy wool clothing. I have a, a heavy uh, stocking cap or toque. Is that right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, that's toque. A good translation. Okay. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and then also I have a, a Mad Bomber hat with some you know some faux fur that. It's also wool on the outside, and then it's got the faux fur on the inside, and it's, it's it'll keep you warm. Uh, frostbite, hypothermia are two of the biggest problems that you can run into in the wintertime. So make sure that you've got the gear set aside. You know, I also have a, a zero-degree sleeping bag in there, so I can wear my clothes if I need to, you know, if my I get stuck or my car breaks down like you talked about, and the temperatures are inclement, I can crawl into that bag and it's just going to keep me warm for a little bit longer, keep my body heat, you know, kind of trapped inside there. There's also some food in there, some extra water, you know, just everything that you might need to stay out a little bit longer than you expect to because the winter times, you know, in the summertime, if you get stuck out and break down, it's just bonus because you can sit out there and enjoy the evening. In the wintertime, it can be life-threatening. So I just, that's my pro tip is just to have that go bag ready and throw it in anytime you're going out uh, into the back country in the wintertime. That's, that's, that's a really good one. And I just, uh, literally yesterday with the cold temperatures, I got a flat tire on the way home from work. So I wasn't in the back country, right? But if I'd have had my, my winter kit, which I do the same thing, Ron, if I'd have had that in my vehicle, I would have had the gloves I needed and the extra jacket I needed to not be freezing to death as I changed my tire. So it's a great reminder. And it's that time of year to start putting that thing in the car or your vehicle, whatever vehicle it is. And it's a yeah, a good one, really good one. And honestly, it can make a difference to get in the shot or not, because the first thing you lose when you get cold is the ability to control your extremities because all that heat goes to your core. And so once your hands get cold and, and they're not working right, you're not able to make the adjustments you need to make. You're not able to find, you know, the buttons that you need to be finding to get that shot. And so, you know, a good set of gloves. Also, the the heat company gloves uh, is what I used last weekend. It actually got cold enough to break those bad boys out. And they're set up great for photography. Then you just tuck your fingers back in and warm them back up. But I, I think it's critical to have that winter kit put together. So, Mark... We're catching yes. up. What's that? We're catching up. Oh, that's that segment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, guys. I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that, you know, you'll still have me on the podcast being the only Nikon shooter right now. I'll just say that right up front. You're not the only one. I'm still I still have my Nikon. <laughs> oh, guys, I thought you said you sold them. No. Not yet. Oh. I sold my Sony. I'm not selling my Nikon. I don't have any plans to get rid of that. Okay. All right, brothers. <laughs> yeah. Still brothers. All right. Good. I love all the gear. Don't get me wrong. It's the best gear to get the job done. And if I am listening super intently to my friends who have the R5, and if everybody turns out that they love it, then that's the way to go. I'm just, with the limited travel and, and trips this year, I just didn't see the point in switching just yet until the proof, the proof is out. But it's been a, I had a phenomenal fall, but very limited. It was hard not to get up to the far north to hang out with my buddy Michael in Alaska to get any time up there. I mean, missed that big time. But, and I, my 
trips out east were canceled. But I, I did squeeze one in for that was measured as far as being a safe trip and, and for sanity and soul food. It's been a hard year for everybody. There's a daily weight that we have to kind of juggle and and give appreciation for everything that's going on uh, that's positive in our, our lives. But I did go to Alberta for two weeks. I flew on a plane and the airports were quiet and every, all the protocol was fine through the airports. The planes were busy, but everybody was masked and kept quiet. And then I camped in the mountains for two weeks and loved it. And it was quiet this year, super quiet. There were just a few of us out there and it was nice because of that to a degree. The elk where I mean, I was photographing a variety of wildlife. The elk rut's definitely a big component of that. And that was a lot of fun and successful this year. The first few days went really well. So that always is wonderful to take the pressure off on a trip when the weather cooperates and, and we bank a, a lot of material, then uh, that's again, just takes the pressure off so that we know the trip's successful that way. But either way, it was more just, being with friends, getting in wilderness, doing lots of hikes, mountain lakes, seeing seeing wildlife, seeing the changing skies, daytime, nighttime, over and over, and camping. It was a wonderful trip, and then the moose stuff was a lot of fun too. So that was that was the highlight of, of my fall, as far as this year. I mean, last year it was I was on the road, traveling all fall, so very different. I'm glad we did what we did last year because of what's happened this year. But I'm I'm you know, fingers crossed six times over that things will be better the next time around for ability to travel. I'm missing you guys. I'm supposed to be somewhere, somewhere else very soon. That's not happening. So, but it, anyway, that was the elk and moose and, and, and now stuff in Eastern Ontario and in Canada here has been good too for fall colors and now white tails and, it's kind of been the year of the audible, right? Because we've yes. all had to make some changes in our typical routine and typical schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, last I... weekend with that storm, it was it was total audible because I went up there with owls in mind, and that was the intent. And we had the in, we intended to get some other things done, but the the storm precluded some of us from being there. And and then, you know, I had the chance to either had the decision to either just turn around and come home with my tail between my legs or try to, what'd you say, Mike, make lemons out of lemonade? Yep. <laughs> and, and so that's, you know, that's kind of what it is. Stuck it out and got some great moose behavior stuff. And, um, and the elk fall, I can't complain about any of that. It was a good year. Even in the limited time that I was able to be out, it was incredibly productive well people have to go if they haven't already and I'm, I'm hoping most of the listeners follow your instagram feed but look at the moose and the colors as michael was alluding to earlier that you put up from this fall phenomenal work i michael. found that bull again this last weekend and it was a totally different scenario there's no color at all and he was just kind of he was gutting out the winter weather so I, I videoed that whole scenario and, and got, you know, I think it's good to tell the story of those animals and their struggle in the, in the elements. That's a good piece of their, you know, the life history and what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. What I struggle with is 
pushing them too much to get those images to get. And that's why I, it, it was cold. He was fighting for food, you know, while the snow was piling up. So I kind of just stayed back and, and uh, just took the opportunity to get some video of the blowing snow and, you know, him in those elements. But yeah, it was definitely the, the same exact bowl and, Definitely not the not the nice fall colors that we had earlier on. It was just an explosion of color this year. So is that, that on metal like yet? There as well. It's not yet. Why it not? Will be soon. I'm contemplating getting an acrylic of that one. They all have sales going too, like practically every couple right. of weeks, right? Yeah. All those high end print companies. Watch for that. Yeah, let's let's see that. That's deserved. Big metal or acrylic. Big metal. Big metal. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, you were going to go up there and meet Ron, too, right? Did you not go because of the weather? Yeah, I didn't go. It was a little bit of a the last minute. Ron texted me and said they just decided to shut the roads down in, in Yellowstone. And I kind of took that as it was that Ron was going home with his tail between his legs. But um <laughs> He decided not to, obviously, and then by then I had made other adjustments in that. So, and 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 driving in the storm and that, it would have been wouldn't have been as fun for sure. But I kind of wish I had been able to go because you know, I'm, every time I go on a trip like that, and you know me, I'm more than happy to drive over the weekend for something like that. And every time I go, I never regret it. It's always you know fun to get out, and I always end up finding something to you know, even if it's just to refresh and get out in the nice cool weather and clear my head. It's always worth it. So kind of bummed out i missed it but michael had if you didn't have 16 pod grab, <laughs> i'm gonna start that over and you can edit that out <laughs> i don't know what a podograph is but it's a new thing 16 podcasts that's you to, signing the swag <laughs> we're gonna be selling podographs in the in the wild and exposed store like, oh, I like it, Mark. <laughs> hit us up yeah, no, I'm glad once I was bummed that I didn't go too, but then I knew I had all that work to do. And then when you texted me and said, I think you made the right decision. I was like, oh, well, I wonder what happened, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I did by default. Yeah, no, it was, it was slow, but there were little pockets of productivity that made it well worth sticking around. It breaks the routine. It does. You know, this year I we needed need to that. break the routines and just get out there. And like Jason was saying, I mean, the vast majority of trips, you find some gem, you know, some experience. Yeah. And I just hate being inside. And when I, I get cabin fever at the drop of a hat and I have an inside job. So I like to get out as much as possible. So that, uh, that was definitely needed for my mental health and stability. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't get cabin fever when we shared a cabin in the Rockies, Ron, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> That was a different kind of fever. So many things just went through my mind. And I, I don't have the ability to keep them in my mouth. But I'm going to hesitate. I hold that one back. Let it fly, yeah. man. Good times. Good yeah, times. Mark did slide his bed over toward me, which made me a little nervous. Weren't they anchored to the floor? They weren't? They, apparently well, not. I think I was just playing games. <laughs> Maybe I just happen to roll out of bed on the right side sometimes and don't want to hit the floor. 
All right. All right. Pro tips. Are we doing, are we back to the pro tips yet? Second pro tip. All right, Jason. All right. So a while ago, I mentioned the turkey chairs or the beach chairs for using those stand low to the ground and that. Um, another tool that I've used in the past for those kinds of experiences when you have an opportunity to, to camp out on a, on a critter. And we've talked about just, you know, the normal ground blinds or the tragal pan blinds or any of those kind of blinds be fully covered. Um, some, some wildfowl are a little more tolerant and you don't necessarily need a full covering. Um, and I've found, um, and I'll have to, I'll get the, uh, the brand and that to you, Mike, and we can put it in the notes. But, um, if you just look up, um, just ground blinds in on online, you can find these, they're about three foot tall and yet they vary in size, two to three foot tall. And they're probably six to eight feet long. And they just have stakes in them. You stick them in the ground and they just basically cover up your lower half of your body. And, you know, as you're sitting down low like that and just kind of mask your movement and stuff. And I found that that's, that's a really good uh, addition to my photography kit when I'm out there being able to do something like that. When I'm staked out in an area or I'm sitting on a, a example I always use is a, a burrowing out burrow or something like that. Um, and it works great. It just masks that movement of your lower body, allows you a little bit more flexibility and, you know, puts the animals at a little bit more ease and allows them to get more, you know, comfortable and used to you being around. So that's the one I'm going to throw out today. I'm a, I wasn't as prepared as I should have been. So. <laughs> well, that's good. They're packable too, right? So. Oh, very packable. Like an accordion, they nice, fold right up. Yep. Yeah. Nice tight little round, you know, about 24 inches long, maybe depending on which one you get, and they super easy to pack, super lightweight. Yeah, very very effective. So Michael and I ended up with one of those wrapped all the way around us. We got in the wind on a sharp tail leck <laughs> later on in the spring, and that thing just poof, blew right into us. And... So you did that for anchor, so you you wouldn't blow away. You hugged in together and wrapped it. Around no, for a actually, we just pushed that thing to the ground, and the sharp tails didn't really care that we were there anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, you get at something like that hanging on your tripod, and then your whole thing's shaking, and you, shoot, you can't shoot video. And see, I think of it differently because where I where I shoot waterfowl is in an urban environment, and these the waterfowl is also used to people that you can just stand right out there in the middle of nowhere, but. I don't get the cool shots that you're getting, Jason. You get a lot of that stuff with black backgrounds, what you're famous for, and some of those other looks. I just, I can get cool flight shots, but it's, it's, uh, and it's a lot easier to do because you don't have to pack around all that stuff. But the urban environments for waterfowl are oftentimes really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a pro tip in and of itself is if you're wanting to shoot some waterfowl, don't be afraid to go and check out your local city ponds and stuff. You, Especially in the winter, you'd be surprised what's available out there and what you might find little little nuggets of water, waterfowl and um, other types of birds that you can photograph there for sure. So, open it's on sunny days. Yeah, and even on crappy days. I've right. had well, yeah, if you've got moody weather, that's cool. I'm just yeah. thinking if it's just gray, the water and sky go gray. But if oh. you've got snow flurries, yeah, winter, winter. But yeah. sunny gets the water blue, the sky blue, and then you've got just that pop. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. But yeah, I love the flurries with waterfowl. That's cool. Yeah, and and flurries and dark, moody weather is a little bit different story when you're trying to shoot birds in flight. So that adds a whole other level of the challenge. So jump in. All right, <laughs> sure. I don't know this this pro tip. This is not something that anybody should take personally at all. It's just a suggestion about composition. It's something I see happen all the time when I'm out photographing myself 
and I it's just a visual cue that I pick up on is do not let when you can help it do not let trees or brush sprout from an animal's head or back and it it's just a matter of pivoting pivoting one way or, or another right or left to change that a little bit uh, even today, you know, there was a nice fall foliage behind a deer I was photographing, but there were a couple of exposed trunks that looked like two straight lines, two pipes coming out of the back of his head, made no sense. It wasn't worth taking the image, so just take a step right or left if, if that's possible in the situation to clean that up and just be aware of that because it will make the images that much more striking. It's a significant compositional distraction to see, especially if you don't see it go to the ground like if it's a big oak tree or a big pine tree and you can see the roots and the animal standing by it that's okay that's one thing but if you don't see it because the animal's body is blocking the base of that tree or shrubbery or whatever the vertical lines are but it comes out of the back or out of the head it just takes away from the the visual power of that images image so something to keep in mind when you're out filming i see it on different posts on social media and it's something that potentially could be improved upon for composition. They don't grow the trees out of their backs or heads. And it's just something about that vertical line with some of these animals. When you throw a, sorry, horizontal line of their backs and of their body, when you throw a strong vertical in that sprouts from them, it kind of confuses things. That's my <laughs> compositional pro tip for today's podcast. That's, a, that's, a, that's another good one. I actually, I think we talked about this before, but I have to send it to Mike and we can put it in the show notes because it's a perfect example of, an image of, that I took years ago that I wasn't aware of paying attention to my background like I should. And it's a photo of a Yellowstone bull elk bugling. His head's turned and he's bugling and he's got a big old tree coming right out of his mouth. And it Well, in that case, that's good. It looks amazing. <laughs> it looks amazing. <laughs> you can line it up, yeah, right. That's uh, we've all done so I've got a good example of how not to do it. We've all done it, you know, and there are also times in, in, in the speed of the moment, because there's so many variables we're considering, we'll get home and look at it and like, ah, you know, it yep. still happens. It's just something to be aware of. Just did and that. Watch that background. This moose had a bunch of grass, like, covering up his nostrils, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I would only have had to move, like, six inches to clean that up. And to have a, a clean shot of his face, so it's a it's a good reminder to look at your images and you see it when you get back. But it sucks to know that I was so lazy; all I had to do was move six inches, and it could have been clean. But I just didn't pay attention to it. But that happens too. Yeah. Next all pro right. tip for today's podcast, Michael. All right, I've got two, but I I'll just do one. But what should I do? Should I do file names or should I do autofocus? Well, you've said then you're going to have to do both. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, you are. It's now doing it. Leave us hanging. So I learned, uh, let's do autofocus because I've for so long, I shoot this red camera, right? For a lot of wildlife video and it's all manual focus. And I get very frustrated at times because it's just hard, man. It's just hard to stay on it, especially if an animal's coming at you or away from you. If they're going, you know, perpendicular to you it's fine or parallel in you it's fine it's easy to get but man when an animal's coming in you just got to be so delicate and and following it so for years i've been like i just wish i had autofocus so i could focus on all this other stuff and composition and all my settings and smooth camera operation 
So then the R5 rolls in to my life and I'm like, ah, I got out of focus. Woohoo. Right. So it's only brings up a whole nother set of problems because now all of a sudden I'm on autofocus, but then I'm dealing with what Ron was talking about earlier in the podcast where your focus point jumps around. So if you have any animal walking parallel in you and you got the focus, it's nailing on it, and then it walks behind a tree and I can set the amount of time that it, it reacts to change the focus but let's just use a moose. We've been talking a lot about moose. They can walk pretty darn slow, right? So if he's just meandering down, he or she's just meandering down and behind a tree, all of a sudden the autofocus is like, picks up on that tree and then you keep, and then, and it changes. Now that video will be fine on YouTube, but that video is never going to fly on BBC or Animal Planet or any of those big time uses for, for that sort of video. So then I found myself going back to manual, manual focus and I'm like, ah, I just think manual focus is the way to go. It's harder, but once you practice and practice and practice and get it down, I think you're just so much better off not relying. Now, if you have something that's not going to be anything in your way, by all means, use autofocus. But in nature, how often do you run up against that, right? Most situations you don't, you know, and it even could be another animal and it's just, the camera autofocuses so fast that it picks up something else. It's not even like you're trying to do this really eloquent rack focus to, to emphasize, Hey, there's a, a cow here and a bull back here. And you're just going to rack focus between the two of them. It's way too fast for that. You know, it just picks up the autofocus and switches it. So now that I've had it, I'm like, I don't think I like it. I don't, I think I like the manual focus better. I just think I can, I can compose so much better. The other issue on this commercial shoot that I was just talking about where my R5s were heating up, I had to do this. I was running one of those little uh, gimbals with my little R5 on there with a, I don't know, 24 to 70 or something. And I'm following, following, following. And then, and then I want them to walk out of frame. Well, with autofocus, what happens is the minute they go out of frame, that autofocus is searching for something else. And a lot of times I don't want it to go to something else because that blurry whatever I've got left over is oftentimes a really good place to put a graphic. You know, if I'm doing a shot for an ad or something and then the emphasis of the shot leaves the shot, that's when you're going to throw up, oh, hey, we're going to, you know, we're doing this or this is for this advertisement or this is for whatever it is. And now it's back into focus on something in the background, which I didn't want in focus. So thinking about all that stuff, I'm like, ah, autofocus is cool, but it's not that cool when you're really trying to compose and control everything. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to do manual focus. And if you're going to do that, it's just tons and tons and tons of practice to get it right. And it's, it's super sensitive sometimes. And then sometimes it's not. So I had this, and actually, Michael, this is a sequence I told you I thought I forgot to hit record on. I found it. I was just, <laughs> these, antelope, these antelope were running, and these does had decided they just wanted to be on the other side of the fence and get to this other pasture. And so the does came, and they ducked right under the fence. You know, antelope typically go under. They can jump from time to time, but they typically go under the fence. And so they find this this low spot cross under the fence where this buck gets there and his horns keep hitting the fence line. 
uh, the bottom bottom string. And so he just goes nuts going back and forth because one of these does obviously was hot. He was wanting to be with her. And he just keeps going back and forth. And that whole time he's behind the fence, the autofocus stayed locked on. And then he finally works his way under that wire and goes across the road and to the other pasture. And he goes in front of a reflector pole, which is a lot less intrusive than all this fence that he's just been walking back and forth on. But it jumped off, jumped to the reflector pole, and then as soon as he got by it, jumped back onto him. So I, I think you're right. Manual is still the way to go for video. And the good thing about the R5, on the Nikon D850, it has focus peaking, but it only has focus peaking at uh, 24p. So 24 frames a second. You can use the focus peaking, which you know just changes the color, tells you where your focus plane is. And the, the R5 has it all the way through the, the gamut of shutter speeds on video. So that is a, another advantage. So you can do some manual focus with that and, and have that to work with. So you can kind of fine tune your focus. I, I, and it's hard. I think it's really hard to use manual focus with a DSLR. You know, these lenses are just not cut out for really smooth autofocus if you're using a cinema lens like sigma makes a few and can they all make a few they just have a bigger distance that you twist the the barrel or you twist the focus ring and it just gives you a little bit more time to kind of slowly roll into it and nail it with the with the dslr lenses it's just not very far at all and all of a sudden you've gone past focus so it's the same as screwing it up with autofocus now all of a sudden you've got a shot that it was in focus. Now it's out of focus. Oh, wait, we're back. Oh, no, we're out again. Oh, no, no, we got it back. It's just none of that stuff cuts it in the in in the world to, to make this really good storytelling video. So I don't know. That was just my tip. And it's I, it was really good for me, you know, because I've wanted out of focus forever. And then you get it and it's like, hmm, I think I don't want this now. You know, I found myself grabbing my red camera for a few days just so I could go out and just have that manual focus opportunity and, and control everything start to finish. Well, it's definitely a dance, right? Depending on the composition yeah, and the amount of vegetation or other animals for sure. Yeah. And what you're filming too. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's totally different if you're, you know, doing kind of a, a vlog type of a setup yeah. and it can lock onto your eye and no problem. That's, it's great because you can move back and forth and, it's still going to stay locked on, but for wildlife, I still think there's definitely the the big time nod goes to using manual focus. Yep. Or if they're walking across the stream, you know, Captain Steve sent me some footage the other day. He was sending me some emails with some samples, and he had a a moose walking across the stream, and and then you're great for autofocus, right? Because there's absolutely nothing that's going to get in your way, other than another animal or something. But it was just a single bull. So it was fine. In that situation, I guess you could switch it over to autofocus and let it go. But I don't know. It's just something to think about. If you're trying to be out there producing really high-end video that you might want to sell as stock or sell to one of these big-time shows, then you know you might want to think about manual. If you're doing stuff for YouTube, a lot of stuff that a lot of those things fly with YouTube. It's fine. If you're just watching something just because it's cool, it's not super critical. But if you're trying to put something into planet Earth or you know, anything on discovery or whatever, 
they're going to be pretty critical. My last one is, you know, Mark always talks about work in the scene. And typically when we talk about that, we talk about it in relation to composition um, or work in the subject, I guess. So you're recomposing, you're using different compositions, taking some vertical shots, taking some horizontal shots, uh, just getting everything you can out of the situation. And I'm going to add one thing to that. We always talk about dramatic light and knowing your camera. One of the things that I played with this weekend, and I do it far more often than I even realized, looking back over this last year especially, but playing with shutter speed and exposure. So just because it is daylight out does not mean you can't get dramatic light. If you've got, you know, the the sunlight illuminating one side of an animal, that's, the light's not overpowering. So I was shooting a cow moose, and I just started kind of playing with it. She was just feeding, gave me several opportunities, and... I noticed the light was just hitting one side where the other side was in shadow. So I started playing with my shutter speed. And just by taking that shutter speed up to, you know, even one eight thousandth of a second, four thousandth or eight thousandth of a second, I was able to get some real dramatic light. So it looks like the sun's just coming up. When in fact it was probably 1030, almost 11 o'clock in the morning. So the sun was up, the light was starting to get harsh, but you can still kind of work work that scene, but not necessarily in the traditional manner of just working composition. So play with some things like that. Um, aperture, shutter speed, even you know white balance. Marcus talked about shooting on cloudy, the cloudy setting of your white balance. So it's what, about 6,200, 6,300 Kelvin? Uh, if you're shooting on the cloudy setting, and that can add light. I was just talking to somebody the other day about, uh, they said, well, how do you get that early morning light all the time? I said, well, shoot on cloudy and then underexpose about two-thirds of a stop. It looks like it's sunrise almost all the time. So I, there are different ways to work a scene, but if you've got the time, don't just get 10,000 of the same shot play around with some things, experiment. And that, of course, what I'm talking about, we're shooting in manuals, so you've got full control and you've got you've got the time, so take it plus at one eight thousandth of a second. You can't get a shot that's out of focus. Yes, awesome. yes you can. <laughs> well, no, I stand corrected. You are right. <laughs> or at least don't, I can. <laughs> don't pay attention to that focus point. Uh, yeah. There are people I see, again, without, I mean, I love everybody's work and, and what's most important is the experience that everybody has in the field. But there are people who have a lot of images that could play with cloudy white balance sometimes uh, I see on Instagram that would be just a different look, something to try. Saturation levels, especially with autumn colors on a cloudy day can be super nice. And maybe not everybody's into that as far as color popping, but you know, play around with those, especially if time permits. It be, it's surprising the difference. And I, you can do some of that in post-production too. Yeah. As well, if you're shooting raw, which everybody should be shooting raw, who's serious about their photography, just do the latitude of correction that can be done to the images. It's a good one. Good variety today. Big variety. 
Ron, I'll just add, like I said, I think we actually talked about this on one of the Nantha podcasts, but to add just a little bit to what you just mentioned, it's, you know, a lot of times we worry about getting the light right. And that's another one that we can, I need to talk a little bit about the light, but, you know, playing with it. But what about backlight? What about, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different ways to play with light. So once you get the your standard images, the images you really want, you know, that's another one. Just don't be afraid to really get creative with the light and try some off-the-wall unique things, you know. You never know what's going to look really neat in post, and you might surprise yourself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, digital's phenomenal, the variety of things that we can do. There are, there are these software programs now when you put your file in that have all these sliders. You can hit, <laughs> you can hit auto. I like to, and just to see what these smart software programs think your image should look like. It's like, what? Look what it did. Holy smokes. And then you have these sliders like, well, the, the blacks are a little too dark and just play with all this. A lot of fun yeah. for those that have time. Yeah. So much time. Yeah. I don't know if you heard, but the R5 will actually send the cover images right to the editor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something's been missing in my life. When I heard that, I had a tear in my eyes. <laughs> Like newfangled slider software has made its way to Canada. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I it's something else. I don't know if time permits, Michael, but I, we talked a little bit before the podcast about Instagram, and and uh, Jason and I brought it up too. And I don't know if we want to dive into it for five more minutes or not. Uh, yeah. Just the ongoing changes with social media and Instagram and the importance of this platform and last week's podcast which was a fun one with Greg Piper and all his amazing travels and stories came up because of his success with Instagram and and following algorithms and he gave us some ideas and insights from where things he's tried so the subject came up that you know obviously most people know that Facebook bought Instagram a fair while ago now and and some of that changed uh, how it functions from what I hear. And so there are always these changes to algorithms and what makes images successful or, or growth. And it's a, it's a challenge. And we, and we mentioned last week with Greg Piper that, you know, image quality is a big deal. What we, what any photographer puts up to get traction, it's gotta be their best work or, you know, stuff that they want to represent their portfolio using the proper hashtags to get traction, switching it up, using different hashtags, and not always the same ones, being consistent with the post, putting up a good caption, there's a whole bunch of variables. Stories seem to be becoming more and more important to getting traction is to be complementing posts with stories and not necessarily a mirror of the post, although that can be fine, but just something engaging through the story. There's so many with time and all of this is time that we're well aware of that who participate with Instagram, but there's so many creative little formats and things that we can add to our stories that engage people that way too. But with the Facebook thing, um, I'm not sure how legit it is. I've done one sponsored image before, which means paying to have it promoted. So when you see through your feed, somebody's that you may or may not follow comes up and underneath their name says sponsored means they've paid for promotion of that image. And there's a whole spectrum of, of setup for this. And I did it once before and it wasn't hugely successful and it was probably a few months ago that I tried this and with the idea that these companies obviously they're making a lot of money presumably through all the advertising that we see on these platforms that come up in the feed but I was thinking and wondering if there's something about if 
for people who want to grow it if doing a sponsored image once in a while is important. And I asked Greg that last week from his opinion based on his 400,000 followers. And he said, yes, it's something that, you know, now and then he does. And I, it's a question of, I guess, if people have sponsors that will pay for it or whether they pay out of pocket themselves. So I elected to do one last week. I put up one of my all-time favorite highest selling images that I have held back from Instagram for three years just to shake things up and see what it would do. It's a roll of the dice because the day I chose to put it, put it up may or may not be the best day and who, what's going on. There's so many other variables, but I tried and then I also sponsored it. And so I went in through the setup, which is fairly automated. And of course, each and every one of you decide whether to do this or not. I'm just experimenting, trying to see what this will do for my feed, which I'll get to in a moment, the results of it. But it's I set it up to do four days of promotion at $10 a day for a $40 all-in price point to see what that would do. And it did obviously get traction. Honestly, it didn't get as much as I hoped it would do. But here's the interesting twist that I've noticed so far is that it, it did get decent traction, that image, and more likes than the average post, significantly more, but not astronomically more. But I did notice the whole trend of the act, sorry, uh, activity of my page remained high and boosted for days following even. So it just gave it a, a push uh, across the board. And, I, and I'm not, as a one-off, so I don't know if this will happen all the time. I'm not keen to do this frequently, just due to the cost. But, you know, the reason that so many photographers, all of us that are serious about our photography and have ambitions to sell or are selling our photography, you know, there's an there's a enjoyment to Instagram, but it's, it's with the, also the hope of selling stuff. And, you know, there are promotions that each of us do to try and sell stuff through social media like Instagram. And I just a part of me was wondering if by doing the odd sponsor, whether some of those would get more traction with time as well. So I'm going to try another one. I'll give feedback on uh, on the next podcast that we do on a catch up one where I just want to pick instead of four days at $10 a day, I'm going to pick one day, try to pick the best day of the week and maybe do uh, a 10 or $20 and just see for that one day the difference. But Anyway, it wasn't astronomical, but I think it helped as far as the boost, but it did help grow traction. And as far as the number of followers, so I, I'm at 32,000 in change. It only went up a couple hundred followers for that promotion. And which, anyway, interesting to experiment. And I, I don't have, unfortunately, it's not black and white. It wasn't clear. It wasn't like if I'd grown 5,000 followers through that promotion, I'd be doing some air high fives and, and cartwheels. But it, it still seemed to be something that was worthwhile that I might do personally um, once every month or six weeks or something and just see over time if, it, if each one of those continues to promote it along just because I'm hopeful to continue to make sales through Instagram, whether it's books or prints or other opportunities that I, I have to promote. The biggest yeah. question I have is it's hard to know on a one-off, right? You're just going to have to try it. You know, mm. it's almost like you have to dedicate, okay, I'm going to spend 400 bucks over the next year 
And I'm going to try to space it out correctly. And I'm just going to try different scenarios. One in the middle of the week, one on a weekend. I'll do one that. One at whatever, yeah. you know, and just, and They're then you have a set of data that you can look at. Yeah. So I, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And this time I just went with, you know, you can pick to have the people come back to your feed and have Instagram select the audience that is already like and mirrors your audience, right? But to dive in and, and to see another one experiment would be to do the same duration, same price point, but then go in and pick the audience manually and see what difference that makes, whether it's a geographic region, whether it's uh, content subjects. So that could be another uh, one to do in the near future and try that way. And Jason, you, you'd said that you just recently tried sponsor an image too. So have yeah. you seen, was it worthwhile? Did you, how's that so, going? So I did the $30 over six days or whatever it was, um, the standard. And I just did it to the, you know, the like followers and so on. Like you said, go, go to my profile and yes. I'm in the middle of it right now. I literally just promoted it yesterday. Okay. So, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm curious to see how it works. Like I said, it's definitely driving more attention to that post and I'm sure it's driving more attention to the, to the profile. Um, but you know, it's really early to tell what it's actually going to do for the full yeah. value of the, of the money I've spent. So we'll see, but I'm going to, I'm going to do some of that too, Mark. So maybe we can do some of that and just kind of compare notes and kind of come back to the, you know, to the listeners and explain what we've learned and kind of, you know, if it was worth it and so on and so forth. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wish we didn't have to pay, but you know, if like Michael said, if, if, I mean, we're putting a lot of time into this, but it's the way business works. If we put $400 into this over 12 months, for instance, um, and we're making, Let's say hypothetically, if we make four thousand dollars in sales off Instagram that year, then it's it's worth it if it continues to build the site and build the page. That's yet to be seen, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting thing to experiment, especially from somebody like myself on the business side, where I recognize what I believe to be the potential of the social media, especially how it continues to evolve in our society, and to to, to generate business revenue from it, growth is important and. So to put some small percentage back into it to see if that boosts it to create revenue as a professional is something I'm willing to experiment with. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that Instagram hasn't come out yet with a pay-to-play option, you know, for professionals that they're willing to pay to have certain changes in the algorithm or I don't know, whatever it might be. But I know for a fact that's something I would definitely consider if it was, you know, if I could see the value in it. Um, you know, and have that be an option, you know, for folks that, you know, you don't have to, but if you want to, here's what it gives you, here's what it does for you, here's how it drives, you know, more attention to your profile, whatever it might be. But to me, that just seems like a common sense thing that they would want to do. Um, but then after I watched this uh, recent uh, documentary called The Social Dilemma, I'm starting to wonder if maybe just our our data is just worth way, way more than we realize. And so. <laughs> sure. There's that side. They're making, they're I'm no doubt making a lot of money through other channels. Yeah. I'm a conspiracy theorist. So I'm just going to stay really quiet on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a platform that's hard to ignore for marketing potential, right? We've talked about it many for times. Sure. We have websites and, and to me, my website is still useful in, in functions and is, is worth having, but it's not the best form of discovery any longer. Right. By yeah. far and away, it's the social media as far as being found by 
new people, new clients, you know, bring up Greg again. He was commenting on a great sale to a fellow in Russia for a big print. You know, that's not it's stuff like uh, I believe Instagram will have far greater reach that way, which is and it's there's a community to it, too, that I, I do enjoy a, ne a network of people and some communication. But there are times on wilderness trips, it's nice to have a break from it and just hear the birds in the trees. Last week, last week was a very nice break, even if it wasn't at all in the wilderness. But I do, uh, you know, I had some things go on family-wise. Um, I, I wish I would have been on there with Greg because that conversation you guys had, were able to have with him was fantastic. And there's a, a lot of good things that came on there. And just, you know, thinking about, you know, what could have been with my daughter's car accident last week, um, his, his saying, and then we were talking a little bit today, um, because I didn't get the chance. I just sent him a thank you for, for coming on and thank you for giving us his time. And I said, you know, I, I said, when the end finally comes for me and, and for my family too, because my kids are adventurers, kind of have adventurous spirits, but when the end finally comes, nobody's going to be able to say that we didn't live and we didn't have a good life. And he, he said, you know, that goes right along with, I'm going to read it because I think it pretty much sums that statement up. You know, I, I love oh, his motto and I'm all behind it, but I do have to say, I have to say that I was given really a virtual swear jar by saying epic too much. <laughs> on <this podcast>. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, epic is a phenomenal word that's warranted for so much of life. I love. I was given a swear jar for saying phenomenal. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Touche. <laughs> <laughs> epic is back in play. Epic, epic's in play. So he said, you know, talking about people that are are living in fear so much right now, he says you wouldn't fear death so much if you ever actually lived. And I think. You know, that kind of sums up who I am as a, or try to be as a person. Just get out there and have those adventures now while you can and enjoy it. And I was glad to hear that come through in last week's podcast. You guys did a great job. And he was a great guest as well. But, yeah, anyway. That's a good summary. That uh, harkens back to that one from a month or two ago with the – the Peanuts comic I saw on social media where, uh, what do you say? You only, you only live, live once. once. And it's like, and, and I think Snoopy corrected him and said, no, you only die once, but you live every day. I love that model too. That's awesome. Mark. Wild and exposed guys. It's great to see your faces. It's great to catch up. We'll have to do this again soon. Let's do another whole pro tip podcast down the pipeline before long. You can find us on YouTube, on social media, at wildandexposed.com. Check out the show notes for today's conversation and links to any of the subjects as far as the, the gear and, and, and things that were discussed on the podcast. Give us a shout out. We appreciate those. Reach out and check us out on YouTube. This podcast will be playing on there as well. And give us a five-star rating hit that bell so you'll be notified when more podcasts are put up 
until then, you've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.